tokens of of a job well done. They they rise to heroic um, levels of performance. Guys, um, we had just experienced one such event, I think, here at Grace Van this past weekend. And I don't want you to go without applause. Um, I'm not sure we should ever do that again. That is, match the missions conference with the Kiev Symphony uh, all on the same weekend. Um, it really stretches our resources quite thin, but you did, you did a, it is a masterful job. I, I don't know whether you, any of you get this, but Diane McMurrin sends out this travelogue on email uh, about once a week, and she tells about their various stops, and, and um, she tells the places that, you know, they arrive and, and they say, I'm sorry, we're glad you're here, but we don't have any houses for you. You're all going to have to stay in the motel which um, is about $12,000 out of their pocket every time they have to stay in a motel. And to think that you not only housed all 165 of them, but then some more in terms of, um, of missionaries. Um, if I had some blue ribbons, I sure would like to give you one because you did a great job. I, um, and I can mention names, but just as surely as I did, I'd leave somebody out and be in bigger trouble. I, I will say this to you, and I think most of you know this. Um, events like that, um, well, events even much smaller than that, could not take place without Dale Lively. Uh, Dale Lively works like a madman getting things tense out cheered. I mean it's but that said um, way to go y'all uh, it, it came off seamlessly and they left here many of you were not able to be here as they left yesterday but I mean I, maybe they say this at every stop but they're saying this is number one this is our favorite church we want to come back here we love this on and on I, you know, I heard that half a dozen times and others heard it and then people who couldn't tear their children out of the Ukrainians' arms because they had the bus had to pull off, uh, and and it was just the stories that I've gotten on my email today and the messages um, that I that I got on the phone. It's just it's just a remarkable thing that you've done, and and I wanted I wanted you to know that it, it wasn't um, that's not I, I, maybe I shouldn't say it like that. I was going to say it's not expected of you. Um, I think the Lord expects all of us to be in positions of service but you outdid yourself and uh, oh that we could say that every weekend uh, about uh, the performance our performance and service to the Lord but this weekend you can say it it was a you did a great job y'all and I am um, I'm the first to want to point it out okay having said that let's get to Romans chapter 3 and resume our study uh, to get uh, our ball rolling tonight, I need to go back to a, a couple of uh, to the previous verse and just say a couple of things uh, that'll help us understand our present verse um, uh, that we're studying for tonight. We are studying verse 26, but I got to go back uh, to something that I said last week. There's a, there's a statement, or the two weeks before, there's a statement in verse 25 that caused people trouble. 
Um, it is his statement uh, because in his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed. That clause um, causes people a lot of uh, um, heartburn, but it particularly caused um, the, Paul's Jewish audience a good deal of heartburn. How, how can a God be just, that is, how can a God be known for justice if he is one who is passing by, passing over sins? In fact, folks, this is not the only place that this is mentioned. There's two places. I'll only read one. Uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked. There's another statement in Hebrews chapter 9 about the same thing. But, but one of the difficulties that uh, the Jewish audiences had is that certainly doesn't sound like a God of justice to me. Um, if he is a God of justice, how can you, uh, how could a God of justice pass over sin? How, how can you, how can you present to me a God who is, is rich in justice, who holds back his wrath for such long periods of time? Well, um, I, <coughs> the Old Testament had a system of forgiveness, uh, of dealing with sins, but it had no system of dealing with sins in a radical and permanent sense. Uh, the, the system, of course, was through all those sacrifices and Day of Atonement, etc., etc. But those Old Testament sacrifices, that Old Testament system that was so familiar to Judaism and, and, and was so hard for them to give up was a system that was supposed to prepare our future generations for the sacrifice that would um, radically and permanently deal with sin. Uh, the nation of Israel missed much of that, or much of the nation, much of, the nation of Israel missed that. Um, Jimmy, are you saying that uh, Old Testament saints' sins were not forgiven? No, I'm not saying that. But I am saying this. Old Testament saints' sins were not forgiven by that sacrificial system of shedding the goats and the turtle doves, etc., etc. Those were only to be prophetic, uh, foreshadowing. That is, they foreshadowed what God was going to do later at Calvary. Uh, Old Testament saints were, of course, had forgiven sin, but their sin was forgiven by looking and holding on to promises that had been given them. They didn't understand those promises as well as you and I. Um, but they knew something uh, from Genesis 3, verse, uh, verse 15, um, all the way through the Abraham and Isaac story. All the way, they knew something about God ultimately going to make a provision for sin. They didn't know much else and much of the detail, but they, they knew that God had made promises, and by looking to that promise that they, they thought would ultimately, that God would ultimately keep, their sin was forgiven. Um, you got to understand, they didn't know half as much as you do. But they knew that God kept his promises. And it was because God knew what he was going to do at Calvary 
that he was able to pass over sins during all of those Old Testament centuries. Um, it was because God did hold on or hold back his wrath on sin, but it's at Calvary that he discloses all of that wrath. And that's what our verse is about tonight, verse 26. Verse 26 is basically a vindication of God um, to the critic who complained that this couldn't be a God of justice who, who passed over sin. Um, in their minds, the justice of God seems to be compromised by this self-restraint that is mentioned in verse 25. By him holding off and overlooking and forbearing and all those words that are used, they, the, the, the critic was convinced that this could be in no way possible a God um, of justice. Well, what verse 26 says is that the cross settles that issue, that objection. Now, let me read the text in verse 26. Well, let me read, um, um, let me read verse 25 too. Whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. And, and you, you know, I wouldn't dare want to do this to the Bible. I, I don't want to have any right to tamper with it. But if I could possibly insert this question, it might help you understand verse 26. Well, why did he do that? To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Gang, the cross was more than simply a statement about forgiveness. It was that. Um, you know, I've heard people talk about in their in their misperceptions about the cross being a, a, um, an example of God's love. Well, it, it is that, but it's far more than that. It is a statement about God's forgiveness of sin, yes, indeed. But it, it, the cross is also a statement about God's character. This is a vindication. The cross is a vindication of anyone who would possibly uh, conclude that this God was not going to somehow uh, deal rightfully with sin. The cross is also a statement, a vindicating statement, about the God who overlooked sin up till this time. We are told that Christ was set forth for the manifestation, this is in verse... Um, uh, 25, to demonstrate his righteousness. Um, that's one of the reasons that we have to under, that we must add to our understanding of the cross. Christ was set forth 
in, in, in that act as a manifestation of the righteousness of God, how can justice be upheld when we're, we're constantly seeing God pass over sin, both in the Old Testament and even into the New? How can, uh, how can justice be upheld? One way. The death of Christ. Which is the vindication of God's doing so. That is, it, it, it vindicates God's passing by sin. He overlooked sin for a period because he knew what he was going to be doing at Calvary. And all of that well-deserved, um, rightly earned, uh, stored up punishment, so uh, well-deserved by, by man, is now poured out in enormous measure, without restraint, on his own son. To communicate forgiveness, to demonstrate love, but also, also to vindicate that God will not in any way ignore and wink at sin. You know, ladies and gentlemen, um, we live in a culture that uh, doesn't take much of this very seriously. Uh, we pay, play kind of fast and loose with sin. And, um, and I think sometimes we do it in the name of grace, and that's unfortunate. Um, but um, in the cross of Christ, in Calvary, in the crucifixion, what you see there, at least part of what you see there, is the extremes, the extremes of justice that God is willing to go to to deal with sin. He is going to crucify His Son. Oh, my friend, let no man, let no man doubt God's willingness to punish sin. If you doubt it, look at what He did to His own Son. He will indeed balance every scale and um, he has done that for his people in the sacrifice of Christ. You see, on Calvary, folks, God was making a way of salvation for us indeed. But he had to do it in such a way that would leave his character inviolate. That is, he, he could not provide a salvation that permanently winked at sin and permanently ignored it. He had to find a way to save his people and maintaining his, his pure nature and pure character at the same time. And this great salvation that you and I have to declare declares that God has found a way to be just and the justifier. Um, I, I hope you'll understand those terms by the we're finished tonight, unless, unless you already do understand them. But um, <clears throat> the word just simply means being or doing the right thing 
uh, as the nature of the case demands. Just doing the right thing that this particular situation calls for. So, for God to be just, he must punish sin. And then, having punished it, he can now also be the justifier. Uh, that is, of, of you and me. Justice is served in the sinner, in, in us, because the grounds of complete satisfaction of God's justice has been found and made. And it has all taken place in our grand substitute, Jesus Christ. By the way, <clears throat> um, preachers are prone to use words that uh, some do not understand. Uh, um, thank you. I, I just want to tell you, this, if you, I know you've heard this word before, but if you don't know what it means, here's a good opportunity to learn what... Thank you. Vicarious means. Have you ever heard the term? Vicar vicarious, is that right? I think there's a U in here. Uh, vicarious. Justice is served. All of sin has been paid for. The, 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 the ground of complete satisfaction for sin has been found in Christ. And that is given to you by your sin-bearing substitute. Or it is given to you vicariously. Did, did any of you read the... Um, cartoons, the funny papers in the morning? Well, I do. I'm sorry to admit, but I, I do. And one of the ones that I usually include is um, Beetle Bailey. I like Beetle Bailey. Um, anyway, well, do you know anything about Beetle Bailey? You know, Be Beetle Bailey likes to sleep a lot, and he likes, he's, he's a bomb, and, and uh, Sergeant Snorkel, and, uh, and then, then there's Major, I mean, there's General Halftrack, who is the the tottering, um, um, very old general, who has a secretary whose name is Mrs. Bu or Miss Buxley? Have y'all read that, or is this all new information to you? Well, uh, um, you know Miss Buxley is the uh, given her name because of her shapeliness and her and her um, male appeal, and she's the hot shot looking secretary and. Um, and uh, everybody wants to date her, and et cetera. And, and so in this morning's episode, um, General Halftrack, you know, barely getting out of the room, turns to Miss to Buxley and says to Miss Buxley, do you have a busy weekend planned this weekend? And she kind of stands up and twirls around, you know, in one of the frames and says, oh, yes, I'm going to be dancing in the moonlight. I'm going to be partying at, uh, on, the, on, the, on the seashore. I'll be living uh, the day to day to day. I don't know what all she said. Just, just, just describing this, what some would call uh, a grand and glorious life. And she said, and General, what will you be doing? And he said, I will be living your life vicariously. Do you understand what that, I mean, what Beetle Bailey is communicating that day? It's simply that General Halftrack is so old and beat up and, uh, you know, couldn't possibly get a date and go dancing. But that's the life he wants. And so what he's going to do is enjoy it, he thinks, by living what she's doing 
vicariously, just enjoying it, that her life is having that and so he can get some enjoyment. That's what vicarious means. It's simply, I get a life that somebody else lived for me. Perfect satisfaction of justice has been made in a sin-bearing substitute which is vicariously mine through faith. And thus, the objection that, that there is something inappropriate about what God has done, that it is short-sighted, that it is, that it is less than sin deserves, is to be mocked. It's to, that's what verse 26 is trying to overturn. God found a way to maintain his character and also justify sinners at the same time. And that, of course, is through the sufferings of his son. But, folks, um, notice the text that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The man or woman whom God is just in justifying is the one who relies on Christ as his his propitiatory sacrifice. Where God is just in justifying he is just in justifying men and women who place their whole hope of deliverance in what Christ has done. Anybody, anyone else justified would undercut the fact that God is just. So in this one act, and nowhere else, ladies and gentlemen, nowhere else that I know of in the scriptures, um, when you when you read about the character of God, you see these things mentioned often. But nowhere else that I know of in the Bible is perfect justice and perfect mercy ever seen, except at the cross. It is there where perfect justice is maintained and at the same time, mercy is extended. Nothing 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 to undercut the character and the nature of God you know guys I, I am asked maybe once or twice a year um, some question like this having to do with angels or why after the fall didn't uh, God just call his people home and uh, um, why why does why does sin exist etc etc well folks I, I'm not philosophically trained well enough to tell you why God allowed sin, but I can give you a hint, at least one, one brief hint. You know, ladies and gentlemen, if sin wasn't allowed to enter, you would never be able to see the mercy of God. It's only in His extending mercy or in his justifying sinners 
that we understand things about his character that we would have never understood otherwise. In fact, I even go so far as to tell you, I don't think angels understand it. I don't think angels understand mercy like you and I do because they've never had a need for, that is, unfallen angels. The angels that are in heaven now, Gabriel and Michael and his friends, they don't have a need to understand mercy because they've never sinned. But we have. And so what do we long for? We long for mercy. And his perfect mercy and his perfect justice is seen in this one act. And, and, and justice, instead of being forgotten and trampled underfoot or swept under the carpet like he was being charged with, oh, no, 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 no. It, justice is perfectly done in this, this punishment of the substitute. And so God can stand before all of his critics, and we can too, and say, of course, his justice was not overlooked. It was displayed mightily in his son. And, and, and that's the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. That's the gospel that you and I have responded to. A gospel where, where God has not been shy about punishing sin, he showed that he's willing to do so, and he showed that he's willing to do so in extreme measure by crucifying his son. It's, it's that this act of Calvary that has freed up God to forgive us and at the same time have his justice perfectly satisfied. And I think that's what this means when Paul says, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of only one kind of person, of the one who has faith in Jesus. Before I close in prayer, I think the, the uh, the choir needs to be dismissed, or people in meetings, um, various meetings. Let me close this in prayer. <clears throat> Our Father, um, your word is so. Um, abundant in its description and definition of of what you have accomplished at Calvary and, and the provisions that you have made and the and the route by which we might become participants and partakers in your glorious mercy and have our sin forgiven at the same time and, and begin to taste that you are a God of love, all done at the same time in the one act of a sin-bearing substitute receiving the wrath of God for his people. Now, Father, might our hearts swell, our hearts swell in response of love and gratitude to you who have done such 
has done such a marvelous deed and an everlastingly, eternally um, praiseworthy deed. And we are your are the benefactors of that work, and we bless you for it. There is none of us, none of us who would ever dream of trying to add any kind of human work to the completed work of Jesus Christ, because in that and in that alone are men justified by a very just God. Thank you, Father, again for the weekend. Thank you for the... Uh, the labors of so many people in host homes and and throughout the congregation. It was a it was a fun weekend and an exhilarating one at the same time and a stimulating one as, as well. So thank you for allowing us to accomplish that. Now dismiss us with a sense of your blessing, with a sense of your um, care. We want to know that we are yours and you are ours. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and good night.